You are listening to You Were Made For This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made For This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 45, where today we look at seven relationship lessons found in the greatest Christmas movie ever made. I never, ever in a hundred million years ever want to be known for exaggeration or hyperbole. So it's going to be a challenge for me to rein myself in when talking about the wonders found in It's a Wonderful Life that 1947 Christmas movie classic starring Jimmy Stewart and Donna Reed. The thing I like about the movie is that while it's become a holiday tradition for people to watch, it's more than just one of those Christmas feel-good movies. There's so much relational and even spiritual wisdom found in this film that's easy to miss because it's become so familiar to many of us. So today, I'm suggesting that during this Christmas season, when you watch It's a Wonderful Life, you look at it through the lens of relationships. It will be a much richer experience for you and the people you watch it with. Keep listening, and I'll show you how. First, let me remind you of the plot of the movie. The main character, George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, grows up in Bedford Falls prior to World War II. From the time he was young, George was a very popular and engaging person, well-liked by everyone. George had big dreams for himself. He wanted to live life larger than could be lived in a place like Bedford Falls. He talked often about his dream of traveling to faraway places where he would work as an engineer to build big things like skyscrapers and bridges. George grew up in a loving family where his father and uncle ran the Bailey Brothers Building and Loan, a savings institution in competition with a bank in town owned by the antagonist in the the movie, Henry Potter. Old Man Potter, as he was called. George's father, Peter Bailey, died suddenly and George puts his plans to go to college on hold to run the savings and loan while his younger brother Harry goes off to college. The plan was that once Harry graduated from college, he would take over the building and loan so George could leave Bedford Falls to pursue an education and his dreams. But things didn't turn out as planned. Harry returns from college, not just with a diploma, but also with a wife and a job out of town with his father-in-law. All this leaves George with the responsibility of running the building and loan causing him to feel all the more trapped, which is really a major theme of the movie. Well, on Christmas Eve, Uncle Billy misplaces $8,000 right as a bank examiner shows up for an audit. If the money isn't found, it will mean bankruptcy, scandal, and jail time for George. He's beside himself with fear, and it brings out the worst in him. The rest of the film is about how George goes about dealing with this problem and how others deal with George. If there was ever a movie about relationships, this would be it. 
Well, here are seven lessons uh, I learned from this movie about relationships. I'll have a list of them at the bottom of the show notes for this episode. Well, here's the first lesson. Number one, before is often better than now. You know, great things happened before we were born. This film came out in 1947, before I was born, and before almost all of you were born. It was not well received by the contemporary culture of its day. You know, it took years for it to become a Christmas classic. And it takes time for important things in our culture to be appreciated. It cautions me to not elevate the contemporary over what has come before. As a culture, we tend to overvalue new at the expense of before. Often we value the new only because it is new and not for any intrinsic value of its own. Christmas is not a time for new. It's best experienced for its beforeness, not its newness. This concept is often true in relationships. We can easily get wrapped up in new relationships that take us far away from relationships that have been years in the making. New isn't always better than before. Imagine what would happen if we took all our energy that we pour into new relationships and instead directed that energy toward invigorating, reinvigorating actually, relationships that served us well in the past. Well, that's the first relationship lesson I learned from It's a Wonderful Life. Here's number two. It's this. People need our prayers. I've watched this movie many, many times, and each time I watch it, I I pick up something new. And in my uh, most recent viewing, I noticed something that, that really struck me, and that is the significant amount of prayer in the movie. And there are three particular scenes where we see this. In the opening scene of the movie, I hear seven different people praying to God, interceding on behalf of George Bailey. You know, the prayers are always about, um, you know, help George Bailey, he's in trouble. These people were aware that he was in trouble and need, and it makes me wonder about people in my community. Which of them are in trouble and in need of intervention from God? Do we know the important people in our life well enough to know their needs that we could pray for them? We are all much needier than we care to admit. Well, that's the first instance of lots of prayer. Then in the second scene, this happens on Christmas Eve after George comes home and yells at the kids. He kicks over the model bridge in his living room and throws paper all over the floor. And then he finally walks out the door. Well, Mary picks up the phone to make a call while two of the children, uh, Janie and Tommy, ask their mom, should I pray for daddy? Finally, near the end of the film, George is sitting at a bar at his wits ends to how in the world he's going to come up with $8,000 to make up for the shortfall at the building and loan. He's sitting there at the bar, wringing his hands and looking ever so distraught. And then he prays something under his breath. He says, Oh, Father in heaven, I'm not a praying man. Show me the way. I'm at the end of the rope. Show me the way. What an interesting prayer. It wasn't until George was at the end of his rope that God came through and in a short time answers George's prayer and the prayers of others. 
and he answers in a most unusual way. You know, for some people, it takes coming to the end of themselves before they turn to God. How much better and wiser, though, would it be to call upon God before we come to the end of ourselves? This is an important principle, an important relationship principle with God that I picked up from the movie. I hope it resonates with you, too. Relationship lesson number three is this. Good leaders are good with relationships. I was really impressed with George Bailey as a relationship leader. You know, we see it in the movie, uh, very early in the movie, when as a 12-year-old, he organizes his friends for a uh, snow sledding event down down a small hill using snow shovels for sleds. You could tell he was in charge. Um, Then his brother Harry falls into a hole in the ice, and George forms a rescue party to to save his brother. We We have corporate leaders. We have organizational leaders. We have ministry leaders. We have military leaders. But we don't talk much about relational leaders, leaders who lead others into better and deeper levels of relationship. George Bailey was such a leader, and not only as a 12-year-old, but as an adult in his work at the Savings and Loan and respected citizen of Bedford Falls. At the end of the movie, all the money that comes pouring in to help George was because of the love that people have for him and the relationships he has developed with them. I think that's something that leaders really need to think about. How good are they with relationships? And relationships, as we talked about in an earlier episode this year, is something that can be learned. It's a set of skills that we, that we can all acquire if we're interested in doing so. Well, moving on to number four, the fourth relationship lesson I learned from It's a Wonderful Life. It's this, keenly observing people enables us to help them. I learned from this movie the power of being a keen observer of people. George Bailey could read the room as a keen observer of people and the human condition. This skill allowed him to connect the dots with people to understand them better. He pictures himself in the shoes of another. As a kid in the after-school job he had at Mr. Gower's drugstore, uh, for example, he saw Mr. Gower in his drunken state after he had uh, seen the telegram about the death of his son, Robert. George saw this as an explanation for why Mr. Gower was the way he was. His observation skills allowed him to extend grace to Mr. Gower for slapping him upside the head repeatedly. George, as a young boy, shows his relational maturity when he realizes Mr. Gower put poison in the prescription he filled. He then sees the poster that says, quote, Ask Dad, and he runs out the store to seek his father out, but his dad's in a meeting. Not being able to talk to his dad, he comes back and he confronts Mr. Gower. Plenty of bravery for him to do so as a 12-year-old. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but I did this time, the the role of alcohol in the movie. You know, the incident with Mr. Gower and then uh, Uncle Billy's drinking problem. Mr. Gower was drinking to to deal with his grief. Uh, I think Uncle Billy was too. And we see, that, we see this first one when Harry comes home from college with a new wife, and then Uncle Billy gets drunk at the welcoming home party. We get insight into his problem in the scene on Christmas Eve 
when George goes over to Uncle Billy's house to look for the lost $8,000. George roughs up his uncle and Uncle Billy, and and he says, uh, Uncle Billy said he's looked through the entire house, even those rooms that have been locked up since I lost Laura. You really have to listen carefully to that, but I think that's really significant. He said, I've looked through the entire house, even those rooms that have been locked up since I lost Laura. That could very well be the root of his drinking problem. His wife, Laura, uh, apparently had passed away. It's possible Uncle Billy was still grieving the death of his brother, Peter Bailey. Who knows? All we know is that he drank a lot, and I think to medicate himself from his pain. Then we also see Uncle Billy uh, the day that the savings and loan closed for the day when there was a run on the bank. Using George and Mary's wedding money, they had $2 left when they closed at 6 o'clock. And what does Uncle Billy do? He celebrates by drinking. Well, moving on. To, To what extent do you make it a practice to read the room, to take notice of what people might be feeling? Hmm. You know, the more we do that, the more we take notice of people, especially the quiet people, the better able we are to help them. Relationship lesson number five. That which bothers us most often reveals the idols in our life. George Bailey, from early on, clearly had a sense of adventure. He wanted to travel, build big things, bridges, skyscrapers. He shares his dream with Mary in the scene where they throw stones at the vacant Granville house. And he tells Mary, I'm throwing the dust off this crummy little town. I'm going to see the world, then build skyscrapers and bridges a mile long. We see, we see it again when George's father asks him if he would come back to the building alone. While the anguish on George's face uh, was palpable, he, he felt trapped at the building alone, and, and he said, I want to do something important. If I don't get away, I think I'll bust. And Peter Bailey, his father, was certainly understanding. George's dream for his life comes through loudly in the scene where Harry returns home on the train with his new wife. Uh, The new wife in his family that no one knew about. And and this was a close family? I I just find this so interesting in this movie for for all the, the, the closeness and good feelings that you sense from the family. Here, one of the sons gets married, doesn't tell anybody, doesn't invite the family, and he just springs this this new bride uh, on, on everybody, and, and everybody seems um, okay with it. I, I just thought that was that was interesting. The that that was interesting, but also uh, the sister in law lets it slip that her father offered Harry a job, meaning he wouldn't be taking over for George at the bailing and loan so that George could leave Bedford Falls. Oh, the anguish on George's face at the train station. It was horrible. Uh, We see this uh, feeling again of trappedness at the welcome home party for Harry and his new wife. Uncle Billy gets drunk, and uh, George hears the train whistle with a melancholy expression, uh, contemplating his dark future in Bedford Falls and wishing beyond hope he could be on that train getting out of that crummy little town, as he called it. This goal for George's life culminates in a scene where George roughs up Uncle Bailey while looking for the missing money. 
In anger, he calls Uncle Billy a silly old fool. Don't you realize what this means? It means scandal, bankruptcy, and one of us is having to go to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. Yeah, jail. It's the physical manifestation of George's emotional entrapment. For George, uh, throwing the dust off this crummy little town and saying I'm, I want to see the world and build skyscrapers and bridges a mile long, that clearly has become his idol. There's certainly nothing wrong with what George wanted, but when it becomes this important and it replaces other good things, when it becomes too important, it becomes an idol. When we're not getting what we want, causes this much anger, it's become an idol. George's idol is change and wanting something he doesn't have. But as we see at the end of the movie, he had already traveled in a sense because of his relationships. He was traveling the wonderful journeys into the hearts and minds of the people of Bedford Falls. He made a profound impact on on many of them. He had already built big things deep and long-lasting relationships with people he encountered. He didn't build structures, he built relationships. And his life truly was a wonderful life. This raises a question for all of us, and that is, what are the idols in our life? What are the good things in our life right now that have become too important, that have caused us stress because we don't have what we want. Hmm. Moving on to relationship lesson number six, and we're getting close to the end here. And this lesson is that relationships have the power to calm our hearts in the midst of stress and turmoil. We see this in George's relationship with Mary, even before they were wed. At one point, George says to Mary, what do you want, Mary? You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. I'll give you the moon and you can swallow it and the moonbeams will flow out of the ends of your fingers and hair. Wow, what a great line. I really I really like that. Well, shortly thereafter, George and Mary uh, do get married. Well, after the run on the bank that has drained all their honeymoon uh, money and that drained George emotionally from dealing with this crisis at work, George goes home to find Mary, who greets him with a wide smile and says, Welcome home, George Bailey. The expression on her face causes attention in George to just drip off the screen. It's his relationship with Mary that calms his heart. At the very end of the film, after dealing with the misplaced $8,000, George gets his second chance to live again. He runs home. Mary then enters the house, runs up the stairs, hugs, hugs George, then takes him downstairs, clears two card tables, and says, It's a miracle, George. It's a miracle. Mary opens the door, calls Uncle Billy in, carrying a big wicker laundry basket just full of cash. And then we hear Hark the Herald Angels sing um, playing in the background. And a very excited Uncle Billy then says, Mary did it, George. Mary did it. She scoured all over town telling people you were in trouble. Then a crowd of people start coming through the door, each bringing more money 
for George and the $8,000 deficit that he has to um, repay. Sam Wainwright sent a telegram from London saying Mr. Gower wired him, and he was authorizing the transfer of up to $25,000 for George if he needed it. I love this scene at the end of the movie. Mary's standing in the background and lets all the other people who care for George to come through the door to greet him and contribute their money. His relationship, George's relationship with his family, is what ultimately calms his heart in the midst of the prospect of scandal and jail time. This example of relationships having the power to calm our hearts in the midst of stress and turmoil raises the question of what relationships do I have that calm my heart like this? And what relationships do I have with others where I can calm their heart? While our relationships with people can certainly do this, the ultimate source of peace and calm in our hearts is readily available to us with our relationship with God. The Bible is just overflowing with stories and verses that attest to this fact. We come now to the last relationship principle found in It's a Wonderful Life, number seven, and it's this. When we pray for a solution to a problem, God often provides one we never could have imagined ourselves. After the scene where George gets angry and throws a fit in the living room and knocks down the model bridge and then walks out the door, there's this awkward moment of silence. For all the wonderful qualities of George, uh, George Bailey, we see a darker side to him, which is one of the reasons I like the movie so much. Like all of us, he's a mixture of virtue and vice. But in this scene, his anger is out of control. I often refer to this scene when I give talks on anger and helping people understand the anger in others and what to do about it. But we'll save that for another episode. Anyway, back to this scene. After George walks out the door, Mary gets on the phone and calls Bedford 247 and says, Hello, Uncle Billy. So she's calling her brother-in-law. The next scene, we see George at Mr. Potter's office, and he says to him, I'm in trouble, Mr. Potter. I find this an interesting contrast on where George and Mary go for help. George uh, goes to old man Potter. Mary, on the other hand, goes to Uncle Billy and the people who know George Bailey best. George went to outsiders for help. Mary went to the insiders of their tribe. An interesting contrast, uh, at least for me. Then we have those great scenes showing God answering the prayers of the seven people at the beginning of the film and answering George's prayer himself. And uh, God uses uh, Clarence Oddbody AS2 which, of course, as you remember, means angel second class. And Clarence, uh, who, uh, before he died and became an angel, was a clockmaker. He was described by Joseph in the beginning as, quote, having the IQ of a rabbit. (laughs) Uh, The voice of God then counters with, yes, but he has the faith of a child, simple, How so like God to use people like this to further his purposes and bring glory to himself? We see George on a bridge looking down into the waves of the cold river before contemplating suicide 
so Mary could collect his life insurance to pay off the missing $8,000. Clarence then jumps on the river and uh, cries for help, and George dives dives into the water to save him. The attendant uh, at the bridge asks Clarence, well, how did you happen to fall in? And Clarence says, "Uh, I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. Interesting line. Sometimes the best thing we can do to help someone is to be needy ourselves and to put ourselves in a position for someone to help us, like Clarence did. Well, drying off, uh, George tells Clarence that his bleeding uh, came from a punch to the punch to the jaw as an answer to his prayer that happened in the in the bar from uh, one of his kids' teachers. And uh, Clarence says, "Oh no, George, I'm the answer to your prayer. I was sent down to save you by letting you help me." Sometimes what we think is the answer to our prayer is entirely different than what we imagine. This is hard for George to accept help. He's been doing it on his own for the whole movie. He's helping others, but he isn't letting others help him. Clarence's challenge is to get George to appreciate all he has done in investing in relationships throughout his life. Clarence keeps saying, if it hadn't been for you. That is George's underlying problem. George, however, is thinking only about his need for the $8,000. Then Clarence gets an idea from heaven when George says, I wish I would never have been born. At that point, Clarence stops using logic to change his mind, to change George's mind. He stops fighting George and instead begins to show him the implications of what happens if he actually gets what he wants. Clarence then shows what actually would have happened if George had never been born. One in particular that hits home with George was Clarence uh, showing the tremendous loss of life from a transport ship that sunk during the war. Clarence said every man on that transport ship died because Harry wasn't there to save them, because you weren't there to save Harry as a child. He died at eight years of age, George, because you weren't there to save him. And then Clarence says, strange, isn't it, George? Each man affects every other man. Well, this finally registers with George. After he rushes back to the bridge, he calls for Clarence, his guardian angel. Clarence, Clarence, get me back, get me back. I don't care what happens to me. Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence. Please, please, I want to live again. It's interesting that this is also another prayer uh, from George who describes himself as, quote, I'm not a praying man. When he says, I want to live again, I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. So Clarence becomes an answer to his prayer. What a remarkable and unimaginable means God used to answer the prayers of many on behalf of George Bailey an angel second class with the IQ of a rabbit, but the faith of a child. It's just like God to use someone like that, something like that, to help us and to bring honor and glory to himself. Well, here's a list real quickly of the seven relationship lessons I picked up from the movie that I hope you did too. 
Number one, before is often better than now. Number two, people need our prayers. Three, good leaders are good with relationships. Number four, keen observing of people enables us to help them. Number five, that which bothers us most reveals the idols in our life. Number six, relationships have the power to calm our hearts in the midst of stress and turmoil. And finally, number seven, when we pray for a solution to a problem, God often provides one we never could have imagined. Well, before I close, here's the main takeaway from today's episode, our show in a sentence. It's the one thing I'd like you to remember, and it's this. It truly is a wonderful life when we invest in relationships, caring for each other, even though the deepest longings in our own hearts are never fully satisfied. Here are some suggestions for what you can do in response to today's show. First off, make plans now to see It's a Wonderful Life, but carefully consider where you see it. If you can, go see the movie on the big screen in a movie theater. There's just something about that big gray Liberty Bell from Liberty Films that you just don't um, get watching the movie at home. Second best is to rent or, or buy the DVD of the movie. Uh, I bought a copy uh, of the DVD on Amazon, and I think the saw a price of $9.15. There's a Blu-ray version, too, and I think even a 4, 4 HD version also. But under no circumstances should you ever watch the colorized version. You've got to promise me you're not going to do that. If you do, I bad things are going to happen to you, I'm telling you. And as a last resort, you could watch it on TV during the Christmas season. But with all the interruptions for commercials, it really loses a lot. You don't really get the flavor of the movie seeing it with commercials interspersed. So, consider where you see it. Then consider how to watch the film. I'd suggest watching it with your family or friends and then discuss it with them. Watch it looking for the relationship lessons I mentioned, and you'll probably find even more than uh, what I've commented about. Consider what a wonderful place our community would be if we were more like Bedford Falls, where we cared for each other like the characters in the movie. With that in mind, watch It's a Wonderful Life looking for a character or two you could aspire to be more like. It could be George Bailey, Mary perhaps, Peter Bailey, Mr. Gower. Consider what you could do to make where you live a bit more like Bedford Falls. Finally, watch it looking to see where God is at work in the life of the characters. That's important because as we see God at work in the lives of other people, it reminds us how he can work in our life too, if we let him. Well, as we close today, I know that our other listeners would love to hear what resonated with you about today's episode. You can share your thoughts in the leave a reply box at the bottom of the show notes, or you can send them to me in an email to john at caringforothers.org. Next week will be our last episode of Season 2, 
but we'll start up again soon with Season 3 of You Were Made For This in January. I'll explain more next week. And now to end with our Relationship Quote of the Week. And it's taken from Clarence Oddbody in the movie, A1C, Angel First Class, because he earned his wings by the end of the film. And here's what Clarence said near the end. He said to George, Strange, isn't it? Each man affects every other man. Each man affects every other man. How true. Well, that's all for today. See you next week. Goodbye for now. Goodbye for now.